This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Gold. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele. Our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. What's up, 101 fans? I'm excited to welcome to the program Connor O'Neill, sports reporter for the Winston-Salem Journal covering the Wake Forest Demon Deacons and personally one of my favorite Twitter followers. What's up, Connor? Uh, not much, Kenny. How you doing? I'm great. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, before we get started, I kind of I was, I was doing some research and I noticed you went to Towson. Are you from the Baltimore area? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, uh, Towson High School. Um, and I we... My family moved up there when I was about 11 or 12, so I spent about half my formative years around the Annapolis area and then the other six or seven or whatever around uh, around the Baltimore suburbs there. Very cool. I, I see you tweet about the wire a lot, and, and being from being from the Northern Virginia area, you know that was a, obviously we're not too far outside of Baltimore, so it was pretty cool. I didn't, I didn't put it together until I was just, I was like, oh, that's neat. He's right from around where I'm at, so right down the road. Yeah, it's one of my um well, you know, the wire the wire came out and I was too young to really understand what was going on and probably not very suitable for me. <laughs> uh, I think I was right on that cusp. Like I think if it had come out maybe three or four years later, then I would have been good with it. And I probably even could have watched like the fourth and fifth season and been okay. But since I didn't watch the first three it, it didn't have an appeal. So actually kinda shameful to admit that I didn't get around to watching The Wire until maybe five or six years ago. Uh, but once I did, I mean, it, 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 it's my favorite show ever. Don't feel too bad. I, I was pretty much – I think we are both in the same boat because I think we're probably both around the same age. And, and yeah, I was like 27, 28 when I first started watching it. And I was like, yeah. this is amazing. Where has this been? Yeah. 
<laughs> That's cool. Well, as our fans know, this is we're in the middle of ACC preview week here, and we brought Connor on to talk about Wake Forest. And before we hop into the team preview, I I, I kind of want you to explain how good of a job Dave Clawson has done with this program, and really what the what this run for the program the last four years has meant. Yeah, um, I mean it can't be it can't be overstated how tough of a job Wake Forest football coaches and and for that matter Wake Forest basketball coach and you've seen that in the in the opposite direction the last 10 years for for Dave to come in and uh, just slog through those first two three and nine seasons with I mean that that first season uh, they had I just looked up the number I think it was 461 rushing yards total for the Mm -hmm. season like John Wolford had negative 151 rushing yards for the year as a true freshman who got, I think about, I think the average came out to about four times a game. So for, for that to be the foundation of what they've established now, and you know, they're, they're not bringing in top 25 recruiting classes, but I'm not sure that'll ever be the case at Wake. What they are doing is they're bringing in players that maybe go overlooked in a smaller area or, you know, they they find some, some projects that they can afford to bring into the program and just take their time with for the first two or three years they're in the system. And then by the time they're redshirt sophomores or redshirt juniors, you know, Sage Surratt last year was a redshirt sophomore and emerged as one of the receivers in the country. So so you're bringing in these kids that are developmental players and, and that to a degree, Wake is always going to be a developmental program. And now they're, they're clicking along. Um, and, and it's it's a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, and then you bring it up. Uh, you got me thinking about I wish we could have had John Wolford for four years under Clawson before the rebuilding project or after the rebuilding project because how he was so good his last year at Wake and what he did, you know, in the Belk Bowl versus Texas A&M still just it, being a, a lifelong Wake fan still get, it makes me super excited to see that. But it also makes me excited knowing that that's what a lot of the quarterbacks have done once Clawson has entrenched, you know, his his stamp on this program, has made a stamp on this program. So kind of moving on to the team, what are some of the strengths and weaknesses of this 2020 team in your opinion? Yeah, so I think – I think this is the first year since 2016 um, that the defense should be better than the offense. Uh, 2017, the offense was pretty far ahead. 2018, the offense was pretty far ahead. Last year, the offense was pretty far ahead, uh, and they had to score a lot of points. Mm-hmm. This year, uh, a lot of the experience, a lot of the the known commodities, the talents um, are on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, that's not to diminish Sam Hartman or Sage Surratt or, or they have a lot of skill players on offense. It's it's a matter of the offensive line coming together. And uh, we can get into this more if you want to, but mm-hmm. I think the pandemic really plays a role uh, and only getting five spring practices instead of 15 really uh, is a detriment to the offensive line and, and the process that they needed to go through to gel and find the right mixing and matching that they needed to do up front. But, on defense, you've got you've got such a deep defensive line, and you know the headliner is Boogie Basham, 11 sacks last year, 18 tackles for loss. I pretty much thought he was gone to the NFL. You know, six five, 275 pound guys that run like Boogie and have moves like him don't exactly grow on trees, and I would have thought, you know. 
even even worst case scenario, like a third or fourth round grade, and you go into the NFL and, and you make money and start working your way toward that second contract, kind of like mm-hmm. Jesse did a few years back. Um, but he came back. He wants to be a first-round pick. He wants to be a high first-round pick. Uh, and I think he's got the potential to, to be one when it when it comes time for next spring. Uh, but it's not just Boogie on the defensive line. It's it's guys like Suleiman Kamara, who's a fifth-year senior. It's Ja'Cory Johns, who quietly had a really strong season last year and got better as the year went on. It's a guy like Shamar McCollum, who's a – who played last year, I think every game as a true freshman, which is really hard to do on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rondell Bothroyd, uh, Royce Francis are both high, high motor guys. Um, then you drop back to the linebackers and you got Ryan Smenda Jr. who led the team with 80 something tackles last year. And Jaquez Williams, I think was second on the team or third on the team in tackles and didn't even start until the last half of the season because he filled in after Justin Sternad's season ending injury. Mm-hmm. So you've got you've got some strong linebackers, you have strong defensive line, and then in the back end, you need to replace your your two three year starting cornerbacks with a Sang Bassey and Amari Henderson, both in the NFL right now. But it helps that you have a safety like Monsieur Greer who's able to be that eraser and he can cover up some mistakes on the back end. Uh it's really just the defensive backs that need to come together on defense. So you know, that's the, the general overview. I know I kind of gave a, a depth chart on the defense there, but the general overview of this team, I think, is uh, it can really be a return to that 2016 look where they they played a more of a ball control offense. They didn't try to go a million miles an hour and get 110 plays a game, mm-hmm. uh, really try to slow it down and, and win the game with defense. And I think this team will have that capability. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, you look at returning starters and returning production, you're, you hit the nail right in the head. I mean, the defense is definitely going to outpace the offense. And and circling back to what you said about the offense, and I thought it was very interesting when you were talking about the offensive line gelling, how how big of an under-the-radar move has bringing in Terrence Davis been from a grad transfer perspective? It just the experience he brings, obviously he's technically not a returning starter, but this guy has had a, a ton of experience at Maryland. And do you think that'll help? kind of, you know, bring the offensive line together quicker than maybe it would have? Yeah, they definitely needed that. Um, you know, Luik Nagasomnaya and Sean McGinn both kind of alternated last year at left guard. Uh, they pretty much split the snaps 50-50. And they were good at times, uh, but obviously they weren't good enough to instill confidence that both of them could be the starting guards this year, and that's why you go out and get – a guy like Terrence Davis who started, I think, 30-some games for Maryland, mm-hmm. and the former four-star recruit and that kind of thing. Um, but that's another area where, where the pandemic really hurts. I mean, you had to you had to send guys home and, and send them away from campus. Terrence Davis was, was rehabbing this spring. He wasn't going to be able to mm-hmm. participate in spring practices because he had to get his uh, – he had to get a knee injury cleaned up, uh, and he was expected to start working out in May. Well – you know, that rehab process, just like everything else in the world, has been kind of put on hold, and mm-hmm. they're starting to come back. But but that's something that uh, when practices do resume, and, and hopefully I'll be able to get out there and, and see some of them like I have in the past, um, I'll be able to see if if he was able to get back on schedule, if he was able to kind of 
be ready anyway with the adjusted schedule. You know, I, I just I don't know what it looks like. If he if he is what they thought he's going to be and he's healthy, I think he'll be a, a powerful road grader. I mean, he's I think three twenty or three thirty pounds, um, which is which is typically bigger than than Wake's offensive linemen get, even by the their fifth year seniors. Yeah, he's a he's a big kid. He's a big boy, and I was excited when we pulled him in and and looking just at what we had to replace on the offensive line last year, it brought me a little bit of comfort knowing we're going to have a guy with a lot of experience. And and like you said, obviously with practices being wiped out and, and not being able to gel, that's going to be tough. So hopefully he's a guy who can come in right away, step in, and, and be an immediate impact and really help bring the offensive line together with who we have returning. Now speaking of road grading and 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 run blocking I'm for me personally on offense I'm really excited to see the running back battle and, and we saw what Kenneth Walker uh, the third did last year and how explosive he was and Christian Beal Smith is obviously gonna have a shot at winning the running back job who do you see taking you know the top spot and replacing Cade Carney this year I think it'll probably be a, a two-headed monster with those two that you just mentioned uh and I think I also wouldn't count out the possibility that Kendrell Flowers is getting some starts and, and and even the majority of the carries or not the majority but but more carries mm-hmm. uh, you know Clawson always wants to have three and you know it, it's it's usually that third guy is kind of just the change of pace guy like the the first two guys kind of get 40 percent and 40 percent and the other the third guy might get somewhere between 10 and 20% of the snaps. Uh, I think Kendrell Walker's in that role, but, you know, Kenneth, uh, Kendrell Flowers. Uh, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. complained to the, the, the running backs there. Um, Kenneth Walker is, is an explosive runner. He's just electric. Uh, it's it's kind of like watching a, a little bit of a beefier and uh, contact-seeking Greg Dortch uh, mm-hmm. when on his hands you just you get the feeling that something special can happen at any time I just literally uh 15 minutes ago was was watching a tweet of a replay of his 96 yard run against Rice last year yeah you know that was the second game of the year and he was I think pretty frustrated by the fact that he didn't get in at all in the first game against Utah State I think he was only back there for kickoffs and I don't even think he got to return a kickoff or maybe he did and now I might remember that he did and, and didn't get back to the 25, and that was that was a problem. Uh, <laughs> game and takes one 96 yards. It's a I think it's the Wake record for longest run or the or the longest run by a freshman in Wake history, something like that. So mm-hmm. he's he's an explosive and dynamic runner. Um, Christian Beal Smith is is not to be forgotten. Christian Beal Smith has some explosiveness that. Uh, those of us that have seen practices and scrimmages in the last about year and a half, two years have really been able to see and take note of. It's just not something that's shown up in games very often. And that has to do, that has to do with opportunity. Um, You know, spending two years, uh, his redshirt year and then his redshirt freshman year behind Matt Colburn and, and Cade Carney, that's going to happen. Uh, but he, but he's got some explosiveness. I think he had over 100 yards against Louisville last year and, and a touchdown run where he just barreled over some guy at the 10-yard line or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's capable of that kind of thing. And so those are the two. I think in I think in Dave Clawson's perfect world, you're looking at 
Christian and Kenneth combined for something like 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns would be ideal. And I honestly think, you know, they would want to see each of them get 750 and be healthy for the entire season rather than one guy, you know, burst onto the scene with 1,200 yards and put himself in all ACC uh, talks and that kind of thing. That That's really only going to happen if, if they're in a situation like 2017 when Matt Colburn was mm-hmm. the only thing back they had for about four games. Yeah, I was just sitting there thinking back when you talked about both guys being productive, and I said, you know, Wake's offense, you know, at least in their peak or their prime under Clawson was when Carney and Colburn were both hitting on all cylinders. It was really fun to watch those two carve up the defense. You know, you get Carney, you know, banging inside, and then Colburn just really punishing the D as well. So I, hopefully uh, Walker and, and Beal Smith and Flowers, you know, live up to that. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet online is hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now, switching over to quarterback, obviously Wake fans have been very fortunate to have, you know, Hartman start as a true freshman, showed what he could do, and then uh, had beat out Jamie Newman, who had, was a little nicked up in, pra- in fall practice that year. And then Newman comes out last year and beats out Hartman and, and obviously shows what he can do. And now he's moved on uh, to Georgia. What do you expect out of Hartman this season? You know, obviously with having the experience as a true freshman and then redshirting last year and kind of, you know, getting bigger, getting stronger. His third year in the program, what's the expectation for Hartman? I think the the first thing um... – you know, that 2018 season, you think of Sam Hartman and you think of, uh, you know, how many just great throws he made for, for a true freshman in there. Um, and, and he can put the ball on the money and he's a gunslinger. But with calling him a gunslinger comes all the not so great throws he made and some of the risks that he made and unnecessary risks. And those are the things that will make – Clawson pull his hair out and Warren Ruggiero, the offensive coordinator, pull his hair out. Uh, they can't stand turnovers. And Dave uh, is on record saying at Wake Forest, they cannot afford to lose the turnover battle. They have to be one of the top teams in the country in turnover margin to have the, the type of season that they want to have. So first and foremost, you need to see a smarter and a, a less risk-averse Sam Hartman. You need to see more ball security. You need to see him, you know, not trying to extend plays 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage and taking a massive sack or, or fumbling the ball back there. Um, and, and you know, I, I think you're going to see that. I think there's, there's not much of a doubt in my mind that Sam has grown a ton in the 
18 or 20 months or whatever it is since he last started a football game and was was the starting quarterback. You know, he started the game against FSU last year. But since he was the guy, he's he's grown a lot in this past year and a half, and and I think you'll see that uh, right away. And then the other the other side of it will be um, noticeable immediately. He he is really bulked up. Uh, mm-hmm. Was gosh, I've I've had a couple of different numbers thrown at me, but he was somewhere between 170 and 180 pounds when he got to Wake Forest, and he played his fresh that freshman year at about 185, I think, maybe 180. And when you're getting crushed by guys like Zach Allen at BC and Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame and that entire Clemson defensive line that was all first-round picks other than, you know, that's that's going to that's gonna hurt a normal-sized quarterback. But when you're talking about a 180-pound quarterback, it's tough to peel yourself off the ground after just one or two of those. So Sam is, is up to, I think, 210 now. And – He's just he's he's going to be so much better conditioned to to take those hits, to slide off some of those arm tackles and escape pressure. And you know, I'm not saying he's going to be running over linebackers or anything. I've kind of had a running joke with him uh, the last couple times that I've talked to him about. Uh, he'll look around in practice sometimes and act like he's going to run over Boogie back, and and Boogie's not having that. And Sam. Will, Sam will try to tell me that he can take him, and it's like, ah, Sam, I don't know if you're there yet. Um, so I'm not saying he'll be doing stuff like that, but but I think you will see a, a much better physically conditioned Sam Hartman, and one that is is more ball safe. Excellent. That's good to hear. And and yeah, I think uh, as a Wake Forest fan, I do not want to. I don't want to hear about Sam Hartman trying to run over Boogie Basham in practice. I don't think that would end well for Sam. Yeah, Boogie just. It's funny. Boogie will just give him a big bear hug and just lift him up off the ground in the hole, and, and it's uh, it's pretty fun to watch. That's awesome. That's cool to see that see the team kind of come together like that. Um, well, before we switch over to. To defense, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Donovan Green, and obviously he's one of the, or he's the biggest recruit ever to come into Wake Forest. And I, Sage, obviously, Sage is returning, and that's a great, and that's a great thing. He's one of the best receivers in the country last year, and we've lost a lot of production with Hinton Washington uh, leaving the program and graduating. But one of the silver linings to you know Sage missing the end of the season was we got to see what Donovan Green could do when they when he with the new redshirt rule and and he got to play four games and, and including the bowl game and he looked really really impressive. So what what are the expectations of Donovan coming in this year and and can he step into that number two role besides Sage pretty seamlessly? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, we only got five spring practices and and had two of them they only had helmets on, but. Uh, it felt like Donovan had a full spring in those five practices. Um, if I remember correctly, like, you know, Sage didn't practice because he's still coming off of the, the injury at Virginia Tech. So Donovan was, was the number one in spring ball. And, you know, it was like the first practice, he was catching everything, and he looked great. And it was like, oh, my God, they're, they're going to put him out there with Sage, and, and you can just throw the ball up to one side or the other about every play if you need to. Um, then it was either the second or third practice. He had a terrible day. I mean, he just, he had like three or four drops on deep balls and you're just thinking the exact opposite. You're thinking, <laughs> oh, gosh, this kid, all of that momentum from the Syracuse game and from the Michigan state game is just gone. It's evaporated. He's, 
he's already lost his confidence and you know maybe not to that extent but but it was it was enough to be alarming uh and he got frustrated with himself and even like slammed one of the garage doors in the indoor facility uh then he came back the next practice and and looked great again uh i think that that, that was the fourth practice so i want to say the third practice was a really bad one so the fourth practice he looked fantastic he mm-hmm. He was really, really strong again. Uh, and he sat out the fifth practice because of a, a little bit of a, uh, I think it was a quad issue, but it was one of those things where at the time uh, that was their last practice before spring break and they didn't want to, him to push anything and then mm-hmm. be out for the rest of the spring when they came back uh, in a week and a half or whatever it would have been. I I really... I got to I got to talk to Donovan uh, when he was still a senior at Mount Airy, and the thing that most impressed me about him uh, this was this was at a jamboree actually on Wake's field, uh, and he the first play of the jamboree was a 60 yard touchdown that he caught down the sideline and just outran the corner and it was a perfectly thrown ball and and it was just beautiful and he looked like a phenomenal athlete. And I still say the most impressive part of that jamboree to me with Donovan was his maturity level. Mm-hmm. And his, he's he's a down-to-earth kid. He's never too high or too low. Um, and I think that's the most important thing for him moving forward. That's, that's where, you know, I'm tying that back into the spring practice where, okay, he has a bad day. He comes back out the next day and has a great day. Um, that's where I, I think – He'll really be helped next year as a as a redshirt freshman. I think that's a that's a huge thing to have uh, already in his career. Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of Wake fans are excited to see him get out in the field and and kind of continue that tradition of of having good receivers we've had the last couple of years and good receiver combos. So I know for myself, I'm really excited to see. Sage and Donovan and, and Hartman all get on the same page and really start ripping it up uh, this season, especially after the tease we got the last four games of the season. Especially the, <laughs> Syrac- the Syracuse game was absolutely phenomenal. Like watching that game was just like, wow, this kid is showing you know exactly why he's the biggest recruit we've ever had in the program. So it, it's exciting times for sure. And you know, flipping over the defense, we you talked about earlier how this is going to be the strength of the team, and obviously, you know, aside from Boogie Basham, we know him coming back was was really you know, playing with house money. I thought for sure too, he was going to be gone. I thought he would, he would definitely declare. So him coming back was a huge lift to the defense, but that defensive line, just everybody who's returning and the, really the front, you know, the front six, front seven are, are absolutely, you know, stocked with returning production, but let, kind of stepping away from that, who do you see in that secondary position outside of the Sear Greer, who could be a new starter uh, or, or, you know, fighting for a, a starting position, who who could be a potential breakout candidate in that defensive backfield? I I really like Jasir Taylor. Uh, he's had a a bit of a an up and down career with Wake, uh, and I, I think some of that has to do with he was he was thrown into the fire as a true freshman in in 2017 and was kind of the nickel corner and, and did some good things and did some not some good things. Uh, I think he really started to come on at the end of last year. Uh, I think he had two picks uh, against Syracuse and Duke. Um, 
and I believe he almost had one against Michigan State, or he had almost had one against NC State. I can't remember which one of those it was. Um, Jasir is a really impressive kid to talk to. He is a he is an extremely bright guy, and I think the main thing that that I like Jasir as the breakout candidate back there is he was really excited to to work with new cornerbacks coach Paul Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Williams has them playing a little more press, or at least he he had them playing a little more press in the five practices in the spring, and Jasir was fired up about that. I mean he. I asked him about that, and and he's he's kind of a laid back guy. He doesn't uh, wear too many emotions in his sleeve. He lit up; his face just lit up when he talked about being able to play more press coverage and get up in receivers' face. And he pretty much told me that that was something that they have been missing the past couple of years. He thinks that's something that he wished they did more of, and was excited to do more of with Paul Williams as the new corners coach. So. You know, you, you think about a position where you lose two, three-year starters and how good a Sang Bassey and Amari Henderson were on the outside for, for the past three seasons, really. Um, it's tough to replace those guys, but I think if you have just your Taylor and, and you're able to play some press coverage and he's able to be healthy, I think it's at least half of that equation at corner is going to be solved pretty easily. That's good to hear. That's and that's that's very. It's an interesting note about Paul Williams and what he's going to be bringing to the table. That's kind of new, a new wrinkle in the Wake Forest defense. Now, speaking of the Wake Forest defense, uh, the rover position with Luke Masterson and and Trayvon Red is obviously uh, uh, going to be a contentious battle going into the fall. Who do you see coming out on top there? I think Luke will have it. I, you know, his his stats don't really show it for the six games last year, but. He really was one of the most important players on the team. He gave them so much versatility. Uh, he has really good size to be able to play in the box and also to be able to match up on a tight end or a running back out of the backfield. Um, you know, and and that's what you want out of that flex hybrid rover, whatever whatever teams designate it. Now it seems like everybody has one. Um, and I, I really think Luke was was playing at a high level uh, when he got hurt against Louisville. Um, now, you, you have a luxury with two playable ones and two experienced ones there. Um, Travion Red played some really good football in the second half of the year when he was called on to, to start, and he played some good football before then when he was in there if, if Luke could drop back to safety a couple times. Uh, and that's that's something that I think – is another detriment to, to missing two-thirds of spring practice. They weren't able to kind of tinker with, okay, what happens when we drop Luke Masterson back to one of the safety positions and put Trey Red at Rover? Then what is our – what is what a kind of that triangle of the two safeties and the one Rover, what does that look like? And what happens if we keep Luke at the Rover position and bounce Trey Red back to one of the safety spots? Um so he missed out on that. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that Lyle Hemphill isn't, you know, tinkering with his defense right now, and, and he can try to do what he can virtually and, and without on-field coaching at this point. But, yeah, I, I think that uh, both of them will play a lot, uh, and positional versatility is a big thing with, with Clawson and by extension with Hemphill and – you know, those those two have a lot of positional flexibility within the defense. 
Yeah, it's exciting times to see the defense, you know, being so flexible and, and having so much production returning. It's it's really a throwback to like you said, twenty sixteen and you know, the time the times where we had Mike Elko and, and man, what a what a treat it was to have Elko in the program and seeing where he's at now and where he's you know, where he's ended up after Wake. It's just is a testament to how good of a, a coach he was. But I'm excited to see what him held Hemphill does with the defense this year and and the added wrinkles and what they can do with with everybody coming back now I don't want to I'd be remiss because I don't want to neglect special teams and obviously we could probably talk about we could talk about Nick Skiba all day with how incredible you know he is as a kicker and what he was what he did last year and breaking NCAA records for most kicks made in a row and but I, I to me I thought one of the biggest additions on the team was the addition of of Jack Crane uh, kickoff yeah. specialist can you talk about you know some of the deficiencies Wake had last year in the kickoff game and, and what he can bring to the table? Oh, my God. Um, after the Syracuse game, uh, in the Syracuse game, uh, by the second half, Wake was pooch kicking the ball to the 35 <laughs> because kicking the ball deep and having it fielded at the 10 or you know, or kicking it out of bounds – was a better option like it was just it was that bad um and then you know the the plan was never to have Nick Skiba be a a kickoff guy uh in one of his first two years in the program it was just kind of it was out of necessity he had to do it last year and his leg wore down his you know it didn't affect his field goals obviously but it affected his his leg strength by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It was just me and Clawson after that Syracuse game. And I asked him about, I, I think it was just a broad, you know, Dave, what's the, what's the thought process on kickoffs right now? Like where, where are you guys at on kickoffs and looking at the different options that you have? And it was the most exasperated I've ever heard him on an answer. He just said, we, we don't, we don't know what to do. We, we can't kick the ball deep we're better off kicking the ball out of bounds or pooching it to the 35 and having them fair catch there than we are kicking the ball anywhere inside the 20, really. And that's where it was, it was a pretty high priority for them to go out and find a kickoff specialist. Um, You know, they, you can, you can make the point that they lost the Louisville game because they couldn't kick off and couldn't cover kicks. Uh, you can argue that it really hurt them in the Syracuse loss. There's two losses. You're talking about going from eight and five to ten and three. Mm-hmm. So the the addition of Jack Crane, if if he's as advertised, and you have no reason to believe he wouldn't be, I think his kickoff, uh, his touchback percentage was over fifty percent for Washington State last year. Uh, that that is a huge addition. Um, you know, special teams. You you neglect them, but uh, you shouldn't, <laughs> especially at a place like Wake, where where they have to clean margins, and uh, in, in those little those little crevices can't become cracks in in the foundation. So picking up Jack Crane is is arguably their biggest offseason addition. You can you can make the case for Terrence Davis. You can make the case for um, Donald Stewart, the grad transfer receiver from, from Stanford, but, and he'll give him some depth, but, you know, Jack Crane's going to be on the field. Uh, you know, he's going to be on the field because Wake's going to score and you need to be able to, to have a kickoff where you can put the ball in the end zone. 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head. As soon as we brought him in, my head, my mind immediately went to that Louisville game, the 62-59 yeah. loss, and I was like, that. You know, if we if we handled kickoffs better that game, we're six and zero versus five and one after that game. So I yeah, I you had a you had a kick return touchdown in that one, and a, another one that went to like the fifteen, and then Louisville scored on the next play, and then you know you you forget about it because Wake won the game by twelve, but they gave up the two kick returns to Duke for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they they definitely did. And I think I think I saw a stat Louisville averaged forty four yards of return in that game, and it's just like you can't to be a winning team you can't have that. So it's it's definitely it might not be the most sexiest of addition, but you're right. I, I do believe it's probably the most important addition we've had uh, from the grad transfer perspective. Now, obviously replacing Dom Maggio is going to be tough. Is is Ivan Moore going to be? Is he is he the guy? Is he going to be the punter this year? I think. Uh, that's the likely scenario, but I think he will get pushed by Zach Murphy. Uh, Zach Murphy's been in the program for, I think it's three years now. Um, it's, it's been at least two and I want to say three. Um, and he's got a good leg. He's, he's basically Skiba's backup and he was Dom Maggio's backup last year. Uh, he's kind of cross-trained in those areas. Uh, I've seen him handle kickoffs. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you want competition, especially for for a redshirt freshman who, uh, if I if I remember correctly, um, Mora never punted in a game last year. And I'm not sure how much of a difference it would make if he got in one or two punts against Elon or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you want to have him get pushed. And if Zach Murphy wins the job, then, then it'll be because he's the better punter. Yeah, it's it, it's it'll be interesting. Your special teams is a third of the game, and you and you can't neglect it. So I'm I'm really hoping to continue what has been pretty much a, a you know a a great special teams unit for a while now. Wake Wake always seems to have really good punters and really good kickers, and and, and hopefully they you know Crane coming in, they clean up that kickoff roll and and really get this unit humming again at full speed. Now, as we start to wind up, I. I at Prospects 101, we focus a lot on players who have the potential to be playing on Sundays. So when looking at this roster, who are some of the players that stand out to you with NFL potential? Obviously, Boogie is number one. Um, you know, that's just – it's it's obvious. It's obligatory. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think is going to be a first-round pick in the spring. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of football to be played between now and then, and, and then you get into the combine and all the pre-draft stuff, but – Boogie will would certainly be my pick as most likely to be drafted off of this year's team. Um, Sage Surratt too. Uh, Sage Surratt makes a ton of contested catches. Uh, he's big and strong and physical, and you know as loaded as last year's receiving crop in college football was. Sage Surratt was the first of them to reach a thousand yards, and he did so in nine games. And uh, it was really unfortunate to to see his injury and to be left wondering what he could have done in the last four. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond those two, you know, you, you start to think about a guy like Nick Skiba. Uh, the NFL loves accurate kickers, especially now that the PATs are, I think 37 yards. I mean, that's right in Nick's work. Uh, that's right in his wheelhouse. Uh, so I would, I would imagine uh, you'll certainly see Nick Skiba on an NFL roster uh, at some point. Now, I, I don't think he's going to 
leave after his third year, but but just looking down the road for mm-hmm. once he's, he's finished at Wake. Um, I think both of their both of their linebackers probably have a chance. Duquez Williams, uh, really his only learned linebacker since he got to Wake Forest. He was a high school running back. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the the curve that he's had to the learning curve that he's had to experience at Wake, he's had to really make a lot of adjustments, and he's taken them on uh, pretty well. And I think he's 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 going to have a really good season. I think. Um, and Ryan Smenda too. Ryan Smenda has played a ton of football for being a true freshman that that stepped in there as a linebacker. Uh, he's he's gonna as the middle linebacker need to take on more of a vocal role and more of a responsibility role. And I'll be interested to see what that looks like and if that slows him down at all. Um, ooh, and I. Uh, Probably, probably the third most likely prospect they have to be a draft pick behind Boogie and Sage is uh, Zach Tom, the offensive lineman who has played center the last two years and is moving out to left tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played tackle in high school. It's more of a natural position for him. Um, he needed this spring to to get fully adjusted there, and that's another one where you know. It, chalk up another another reference to the pandemic and how mm-hmm. much it is that he wasn't able to get his his full work in there in the spring but he's an incredibly athletic offensive lineman and he's also extremely smart uh he is the the coaches rave about uh how quickly he picked up the offense and and it doesn't hurt that he spent two years uh learning behind ryan anderson mm-hmm. ryan was one of the brightest players i've ever talked to so Zach Tom is is definitely in the mix of uh, possibly being the next offensive lineman to be drafted, following in the footsteps of Phil Haynes last year. Um, other than that, you know, I it's really hard to to project quarterbacks going to the next. Level, so I kind of hold off on on any judgments of Sam as an NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, thing with running backs, you know, it's. It's just so difficult to to project running backs and what they'll be college to the NFL, I think. Yeah, running back's always a tough position to judge because you, you see guys who are, who are super productive in college and they really don't even get a shot in the NFL as a running back. And you see guys who maybe weren't as productive, but they have the physical skills that the NFL covets. So that's always a tough position to to forecast out for the NFL. Well, I, I – I am excited to see the the roster as a whole develop, and I'm excited for our fans to to focus in on some of the players you just mentioned to to watch each and every Saturday and see how they progress and and get better throughout the season. And now, as as we wrap up, I just I got one more question for you. How do you see the ACC playing out this year? And obviously, Clemson's I'm assuming the proverbial favorite for this you know sixth year in a row. But where does Wake Forest fit in in the ACC best case scenario? And like I said, how do you see the ACC playing out? I think Wake uh, can be in the mix behind Clemson in the Atlantic. I think that right now the the number two uh, almost has to be Louisville with returning both quarterbacks, returning uh, Javian Hawkins, who was a 1,200-yard running back last year, returning um, at least two of their top three receivers. They might return all three of their top receivers. I'm, I'm blanking on, on whether – 
one of them was was a senior last year or not. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Scott Satterfield is a heck of a coach. We we saw it here in Winston because it's only an hour and a half up the road in Boone. Uh, that 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 is a program that was was gonna need some time to be rebuild rebuilt and they wasted no time at all. I mean they were they're eight and five in his first season, I think. So I think you gotta give the nod to them as the number two in the Atlantic. Um you know, it seems like for the last three years we we've been sitting here in the preseason saying that, well, State just has too much talent. They they have to overcome this whatever hurdle they have, whether it was um, going from Jimbo to Willie Taggart or now Willie Taggart to Mike Norvell. Mm-hmm. I really like Mike Norvell. I uh, that that Memphis team that Wake beat in the Birmingham Bowl. I was really impressed with with the way they were coached and and with some of the things they did on the field that day. Uh, I think. I think it's still maybe a year away. I think they need a year of of adjusting to Norvell uh, to really say that Florida State is is going to be back and is going to maybe challenge Clemson. Uh, you know, it already feels like so long ago that anybody in the Atlantic could challenge Clemson. Probably, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the last time we we really had one like that, uh, Lamar Jackson was still in college. Yeah. So, so I think you're looking at at Wake being in the mix with Florida State and Louisville in the Atlantic. Um, I'm not I'm not ready to say that Syracuse or Boston College or NC State are going to be uh, in that same group. I think there's kind of, you know, the Clemson tier in the Atlantic, and then there's that second tier with, with Louisville, Florida State, Wake. Then I think it's the Syracuse, BC, and NC State grouping at the bottom. Um, in the in the JV or or the coastal as people are more likely to call it, <laughs> I really like North Carolina. I, I'm sure that Wake fans will cringe to hear that, but not on the schedule this year, so it it shouldn't make that much of a difference to them. Um, I just I I think Sam Howell is a dynamic quarterback and is is really good, and he gets so many of his weapons back. Uh, that's that's just going to be a monster of an offense, and then uh, you've you've got a guy who's going to be playing his second season as a linebacker. And I was just looking at the Sporting News preseason All America team, and there's Chad Surratt as the as an All American. Um, I, you know, again, Wake fans aren't going to like it, but but as that program rolling along. Uh, they have a tough non-conference schedule. I think they play UCF and maybe one of the other big boys really early. But I, I really think that that's going to be the team to beat in the Coastal. Yeah, I think as a, as a Wake fan and as an objective football fan, you, you, you definitely have to give North Carolina their due. As painful as that is to say as a Wake fan, Mac Brown's got them pointing in the right direction. And Sam Howell is looking like, you know, a generational type talent. So I, I, I don't think it's a stretch by any imagination to have them be uh, repping the the other side of the conference for sure, especially in the conference championship game. Well, I, Connor, I want to say thanks again for taking time out of your day to join join us on our our ACC preview network and and just you know for our fans, where can our fans keep up with your work and where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, so it's um well, the Winston Salem Journal. The website is journalnow.com. dot uh, It's 
one of the byproducts of having the same initials as the Wall Street Journal. So journalnow.com uh, and on, on Twitter, uh, Connor with one N, O'Neill with two L's, uh, WSJ. So then people sometimes do think I work for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that's that's the handle. Uh, no No underscores or any other crazy numbers or anything like that. So, yeah, just uh, that's where I am. Awesome. Well, our, our fans, make sure you go follow him. He's one of the best ACC reporters out there, and obviously he covers Wake really in depth. And, and obviously, if you couldn't tell by this interview, he has a ton, a ton of knowledge to share. So make sure you go follow Connor on everything he does. And, Connor, again, we appreciate it, man. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, Kenny. Yes, sir. Have a great day. All right, you too. What's up, football fans? This is Pastel from Prospects 101, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods. Listen to us weekly on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Hit the subscribe button and make sure you leave us a five-star review today.